Hi and welcome to another episode of STEM for the Future. Today we have a very special guest, Sara Sobri. She is an astronaut and the CEO and founder of Deep Space Initiative. Before we get into our episode, let's talk about our fact bubble for today. From ancient stargazers to modern space explorers, how the curiosity of the past propelled us towards the future of space exploration. So. Ancient Egyptian astronomy had had a significant impact on modern day space exploration in the sense that ancient Egyptians actually, they had these, these knowledge, this knowledge and techniques which were passed down through various cultures, leading to the development of more advanced astronomical tools and methods, which eventually paved the way for modern space exploration. So for example, the alignment of the temples and the monuments were based on astronomical events, and that actually inspired the development of space-based observations. Like, for example, the Hubble Space Telescope, which helps us and allows us to study distant galaxies and stars, and it gives us a better understanding of the universe. Not only that, but also their timekeeping methods, which were based on astronomical observations as well, they laid the foundation for precise spacecraft navigation and timing. We use that now to know the time, to measure the time and distance, to explore other planets and moons. So overall, the ancient Egyptians' understanding of astronomy helped us shape our current modern understanding of the universe, and it continues to influence modern space exploration. So the development of new astronomical tools and methods, informed by the discoveries and insights of the past, will undoubtedly lead to new advances and discoveries in the future. Sara Sabri. Hi, welcome. It's Thank amazing you. to have you. Thank you so much for having me. It's my pleasure. It's, it's ours, actually. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so not only did you become uh, one of roughly 625 people who have ever left this planet, but you made history by being the first Egyptian, African, and Arab woman in space. I'd like to hear more about you in your own words. So tell us about yourself, Soro. Thank you. Of course, it's an honor. It's a complete honor. I never thought I would hold such a such a heavy title, but it's um, it is completely. I'm so grateful to have had this opportunity, and I know, you know, it's not available for a lot of people around the world yet. But I do believe that it's going to become more accessible, and I've dedicated my life to making that happen so um, I hope the title of being an astronaut or going to space becomes something that's normal that people go every day and just say tell their friends and families that oh yeah we're gonna go you know yeah we're just have, gonna go have to space. More work on the moon you know yeah that's, that's my goal that's that's my goal bef- to do before I die that's so that people amazing. just so that that's that becomes part of the conversation Amazing. Let's <laughs> jump right into the questions. Okay. Okay. So you have a bachelor's degree in mechanical engineering, and you later pursued your master's in biomedical engineering, and you're currently working on your PhD, which is in aerospace. Mm-hmm. So uh, you have this like collective of different experiences. Can you tell us how your education paved the way to your extraordinary accomplishment? Of course. I think... Education is extremely, extremely important. And I think we need to really talk about it more, especially in Egypt, because a lot of kids think, especially nowadays or maybe even, you know, forever, a lot of kids, you know, hear about a friend who's been making some amount, an amount of money and then they leave school just to pursue that, just mm-hmm. to kind of to have like this um, immediate, you know, immediate gratification. 
But education gives you, it takes longer. It's more, it's a lot more difficult and it doesn't give you results right away. But then it, it sets you up for a future where you have, you can gain, you ha can have control of everything that you do. Yeah. So I think for me, education gives you control. It gives you, allows you to really kind of decide where you want your life to go. And especially with engineering, I think that opens your mind up to the world in a very different way because you kind of start to understand that everything around us is an experiment. Mm -hmm. Because for me, let's say before I did mechatronics, like I was told, of course, not to do it, but I mean, like, <laughs> naturally. <besides> that. <laughs> um, but when I did study mechatronics and mechanical engineering, I started to really see, like, all of, to understand how, let's say, computers work or mm -hmm. how the, the, the very intricate things that we see around us that seem so complicated and like, that, like, almost yeah. not human made yes. but then you understand that it's actually a lot more simple than we think it is yes true and that you apply onto so many things in your life so for me i always look at the world as if it's an experiment like policy and politics and you know everything everything around us rules well aren't they made by humans at the end of the day so it's an experiment and people tend to kind of put a lot of weight onto those rules and policies and laws when no one knows if it's the right or wrong answer, sure. right? So having this, you know, view of the world that it's, it's, it's just an experiment and people don't know if it's right or wrong. You know, people are just testing it out and that's how, like, the whole world works. And that yeah. came from engineering for me. It allowed me to look at the world this way. And by looking at the world this way, you can have, you can tell yourself that, oh, maybe I can change it. Maybe I can do something about it. So by having an open mind you can actually see that, okay, if it's an experiment, then maybe I'll experiment too. Yeah. So that's kind of like, I think for me, was the most beneficial thing that I got out of engineering. I mean, other than, of course, like all of the skills that you gain yeah. from and the suffering. Yes, <laughs> and the sleeplessness. Yeah. But, but I do agree with you. It does make you look at the world in a very different lens because you see the behind the scenes of everything. Mm -hmm. And in reality, you're always looking at the finished, polished result when you don't see what comes before it. And it's actually simple in terms of, it's, it's a process, it is an experiment, and yeah. it's bound to fail, and it's bound to succeed, and you learn from it. That's the best thing about it. Exactly, you do. Okay, a so... Bunch. <laughs> <laughs> so, in your perspective, uh, how important is STEM for a career path in space? A career path in space is not, there's no straight line. There's no, mm. if you do this or that, you're going to... Um, you know, you're going to have a career in space. And I get a lot of these questions, and I'm mm. really happy that you asked that because there are so many things that you could do to be able to have a career in space. I mean, one part is having a career in STEM. So mm. science, technology, engineering, and math, those are really, really important to have a career in STEM because so far, we are still needing skills in those areas. But once we have a base on the moon and on Mars, we're going to need a lot more. Mm. So all of the other fields in the arts and, and all of the other fields that you can think of that are being useful, that are used on Earth, are going to be needed. So mm. we need to start, you know, we need to start thinking about those. You know, we're talking about policy, we're talking about law, we're talking about sociology, anthropology. All of those are going to be needed in, this, in the space field. So my best, you know, piece of advice here would be just to do something that you're passionate about because passion and, you know, having this understanding that it's necessary or for it to be necessary to you mm. goes a much, much, much longer way than doing something just because of the end goal. Yeah. So that's not so like, beautiful. Yeah. Thank you. I love that. <laughs> Thank you. Okay. So we want to talk a little bit about the overview effect. 
So on August 4th, 2022, just last year actually, you set foot on the launch pad and you got into the New Shepard and you traveled to space. So can you tell us about your experience and how did you get that opportunity? Of course. Um, I could tell you a little kind of weird story. Yes, of please. Like <laughs> how that all happened. Um, so I got the call about mm. my going of space on July 20th. It was the anniversary of the Apollo 11 moon landing. So mm. the first two men to ever walk on the moon. So we were celebrating the, celebrating that in Egypt and we hosted this international moon, moon day with the Egyptian Space Agency. I invited uh, Dr. Sine Proctor, she's a SpaceX astronaut, and um, Christina Corp, she was Buzz Aldrin's manager. So the manager of the second man to walk on the moon. So it was a very, you know, important day that we had in Egypt. And, you know, we don't really do that in Egypt a lot. And it was the first time that we celebrate yeah. this. And I had a, an extremely, extremely busy week that week. Like, it was, I was of course, sleepless. When it rains, it pours. Yeah. So it was one of those weeks. Yeah. And um, during that, like, that before that week, I had gotten the, a message or an email and was told that I was a finalist in this. And, you know, it's one of those things where I'm, I wasn't allowed to tell anyone. Oh. So I knew I had that at the back of my mind and I was like extremely, you know, fully booked though that week and like kind of like really on full. Mm. <laughs> um, and then that day of the International Moon Day was kind of like the wrap up of my intense, you know, week or two weeks. Yeah. And um, we had a, an in-person meeting. So with another company and we had signed there and Christina, we were talking and and I got a uh, got a message from Space for Humanity. So it's a nonprofit company. It's, it's the company that sponsored my ticket and they paid for everything for my, me to go to space. And I got a message from them and they were telling me that, oh, we need you to hop on a call right now. It's urgent. I was like, why? Like, can I'm in a meeting. Like, <laughs> can we do that later? I can't really leave the meeting. Like, we're yeah. in a conference room and we're talking. She was like, no, 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 it's urgent. It's about Adobe and stuff, stuff, stuff. Like, about you're signing the, the paper. You signed it wrong. Or, like, okay. well, can't that wait? She's like, no, 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 you can't. You can't. So, so they're like, trying to make it a surprise. Yeah. That's amazing. <laughs> so, I saw the video. It was amazing. <laughs> Citizen astronaut number two. Yeah. So I stepped outside the, the meeting yeah. and um, everyone inside the room could see me because it was a glass window. Yeah. And I stepped outside. I got the call um, and they told me I was going to space. And just because of my reaction, because I mean, just because of how it's kind of a very intense moment, you know, you don't like so many things are going through your head. And at the same time, it's like world stops um, and I think you know Cyan and everyone inside the room they saw me so when I went back in the room Cyan just because she had the call the same call a year before when yeah. she was told she was going to space she could recognize that reaction yeah. so oh Cyan <laughs> as soon as I got back in the room she asked are you going to space and I can't still I still can't believe that my answer could be yes so what what type oh. of question would you ask anyone just it's out of because yeah. they had no idea and the chances of my going to space are, are so small you know an egyptian person to go to space is egyptian uh, woman it's impossible yeah um so it's it was it's so crazy that that happened on that day with yeah. christina and with cyan and everything just happened really fast after that like everything just you know moved really fast but it's just so kind of think whenever i look back at the story i think wow the universe is just that crazy was the changing moment yeah that it was really Turning crazy point in your life course yeah but then of course um we flew to texas and um we had our training so we 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 um launched out of um texas with the mm. origin and um yeah it was really intense 
it was very intense days uh, oh. that we had there. So we had a lot of training. We had a lot of things to do before the flight. And um, yeah, so when I got that call, the first thing that popped in my head as well was that this must be a mistake. You know, <laughs> that that, that wasn't real? really happening. Yeah. So yeah. for me, there was this whole dissociation hmm. um, phase that I had to go through where whenever I was telling a friend or someone hmm. that I was going to space, it didn't feel like I was talking about me. It felt like I was kind of talking about someone else's story. Yeah. And somehow I'm just saying it was, you know, me in the story, which didn't feel real. Is I felt it like, like a huge imposter syndrome. Yeah. Imposter syndrome played a, they played yeah. a really big role here where I didn't feel like. And you have no one to talk to as well. Like no one, you, no one to relate to. As yeah. Harfin's like, how did you feel when you went to space? Like what? Yeah. <laughs> no, it's crazy. It's something that it's really hard to, to understand and you can only like imagine what it would feel like to you if it happens and then you never know what it's going to feel like when it does happen mm -hmm. and similar to the overview effect um so i was sent to space by space for humanity it's a non-profit company and they want to democratize access to space by sending leaders and people with potential for a global impact so mm. because of the work that i'd been doing with my company with with um community work that i've been doing in egypt and all of the 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 things that I've been doing, they selected me out of thousands of applicants from all over the world. So for me, that was really hard for me to accept too. That for me, I thought so many people are des deserve this more than me and it just didn't feel like, it just felt really weird that it was happening to me. Um, but then it did. And honestly, everything didn't feel real until the one moment that I really remember very, very well. Um, the morning of the launch, after saying goodbye to our friends and families, and we had like a whole thing before, like the morning of the launch, when it was really dark, it was like 5 a.m. Mm. And um, so we said goodbye to everyone, then we got in our cars, we went to the training center one last time, had our last briefing, and then we got onto the cars again and drove towards the launch pad where the rocket was there, and um, it was already ignited. Oh, and wow. um, so that moment, um, our windows were down so had, there was a lot of wind it was beautiful there was the sunrise and that was the first time I ever saw my rocket like I would say on the launch pad, launch pad alive that was the first saw, time we saw that rocket and like time stops you know you're looking at that window and I always remember like that feeling where that's when it clicked that that was happening to me and not someone else you know that I was really happening because before then it didn't really feel it like it story. was real yeah. it felt like I was living in someone else's life and yeah. it wasn't like like it just didn't feel like me um but then that moment it all clicked it was like okay this is happening that's I'm going to be riding on a rocket this morning that's amazing and then we like I'll always remember that we have a f like thankfully like the photographer was was with us in the car and I have a photo that of that moment oh which I'm so grateful to him um like I'll always thank him for that that he captured that one moment yeah. you know and then we went up the launch pads sat in our chairs um you do a lot of checks with mission control they do a lot of checks mm -hmm. and then they leave they close the the hatch of the capsule um and, and then you're lift waiting off. yeah Tea. Minus three, two, one. Yeah, you're waiting and then you're communicating with the crew just to make sure that like we're all together, we're talking and um, then yeah, then you hear the countdown. You have three, two, one. Lift off. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I actually want to ask you some questions about the rocket because it's very significant as well. The New Shepard is considered a reusable rocket. Mm -hmm. And I actually want to ask you like, 
Is the future of space travel going to become completely sustainable? Well, there's... Well, that's kind of a really good question. So is it going to be completely sustainable? I mean, we're hoping. That's yeah. what they're working towards. Because, you know, with airplanes, yes. it was not sustainable before. Like, At imagine all. if airplanes, we have, every time we had to ride on an airplane, we had to throw it out. Or, yeah. like, a big part yeah. of it. Um, but now, with reusable rockets, we don't have to do that anymore. Yeah. So we're saving so much of it, you know? like So it's completely reusable right now. Yeah. And um, you have the rocket that now is able to launch, like, at quicker intervals mm. so we don't have to wait as long for you know with airplanes they just like go on the you know taxiing taxiing yeah i mean they wait just a little bit to just refuel and stuff but then they go back up again like after yeah. an hour two hours you know it's just really really quick um with rockets of course it's much much longer than that yeah. but we're aiming for it to be very quick for us to be launching mo more often and um i think we are heading there we're yeah. really heading there, and you can see that. Just a few days ago, they were um, there is a company I forget I forget the name of it, but um, they three D printed a, a rocket. So it's really exciting. Um, and it's functional. Yeah, so they're trying it out. So I think they tried to launch it, but it got scrubbed. Oh. Um, but I'm not sure where they're at now. Like I mm. haven't followed up with the news because the past few days have been intense. <laughs> but um, but yeah, so it's it's really we're seeing 3D printed rockets. That's so it's really we're we're getting there. I yeah. honestly truly believe that we're getting there with advances in um in 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 cars and technology and and just our understanding of the importance of it. Yeah. I think that's key. Because yes. that's going to drive us. So if we are not motivated to yeah. work on those technologies, to work on those advancements for that purpose of making it sustainable, of not killing our planet every time we want to do something, yeah. I think that's really important. And that's like with this drive, we're going to see progress, which we are seeing. Yes. So the booster that we, we, we were on, um, so we were on its 22nd um, launch. So oh. it had launched 21 times before it launched us and only six times with humans on it. Okay. So we were the sixth human spaceflight um, with that specific booster, so the New Shepard one. Amazing. I heard its engine combustion is only water vapor as well. Mm -hmm. So it doesn't yeah. have any carbon emissions, which yes. is yes. fantastic when you it's talk about incredible. sustainability. Who would have thought? Who would have imagined that? Like if we were to t talk about that like 10 years ago, who would have no thought? No way. It's a insane. rocket that just produces water vapor. Excuse me? But then again, this is this is the best thing about this generation is like all these futuristic scenes, you're kind of seeing them come to life in this reality, which you didn't really imagine. And it's heading towards a really good direction. So yeah. I'm excited for that. Yeah, exactly. And you're talking about imagination and that kind of brings up a really good point of, you know, the importance of the arts as well. Yes. Because those are, you know, when we see movies, sci-fi movies and all those stories, we're trying to kind of use those, right? We're using them for inspiration. Yeah, to and then we're making that. Exactly. Yeah. And then we're bringing them to life. So... I mean, STEM is really important to actually create those. So yes. to build them, to, to, to invent them, to, to really uh, make, to bring them to life. But I think the arts are also really important yes. to really have this piece of imagination of just thinking about what's not possible, just kind of going into your creative zone and really creating something that is yeah. just completely impossible. But that's where it starts. You have to think about the impossibility of things to make it possible that's later so on. That's true. Every idea starts with the conceptual part in your mind and then the physical part when you bring it to reality. I agree 100%. <laughs> Let's talk about DSpace Initiative. Yes. So you are the founder. 
of Deep Space Initiative. Can you tell us about the programs you offer? Yes, of course. Um, so Deep Space Initiative is a nonprofit company. We're incorporated in Colorado in the mm -hmm. U.S. And what we do is, um, when I started, like I'll tell you a little bit about why, why, why we okay. founded it. So when I first started getting into the space field, there was a lot of discrimination. I mean, not discrimination, but yes, nationality-based discrimination. It's really, really mm. there, you know? Like, um, if I, I'm currently working on my PhD. Mm. I'm working on spacesuits. But because the spacesuits is under ITAR, which means that it's on the ammunition, the, the munition list in the U.S., which means it's kind of considered um, like a weapon, you know? Oh. And because of that, yeah. Really? <laughs> um, and because of that, if I were to test my own design, I would not be able to test it myself at NASA, even mm. though it's my design, you know? So there's a lot of, um, and then so many things like this. So we have like yeah. a, a colleague of mine, um, like an acquaintance, she's an MIT uh, PhD student. She's working on um, the, the MOXIE, on the Perseverance, the rover that's on um, on Mars now. Yeah. So they're creating, creating oxygen. And she's been facing similar difficulties. So she's been facing a lot mm -hmm. of this where she's designing things themselves. She's engineering huge, you know, pieces of the MOXIE. Um, so which is, you know, the, 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 the instrument that is currently converting, um, is producing oxygen in Mars now. Yeah. And she's not able to, you know, be present when they're testing it at NASA. Does she take the credit for it at least? Um, I'm sure, well, because like it's a whole team effort. So a yeah. lot of people are involved there. So as to like if, whether or not she's given credit, I'm not like, I can't really speak of hmm. that. Um, but at the end of the day, she can't even, she, like, we're not able to test things ourselves because of those laws. Mm. So, and so much comes from that, you know? So, so a, a lot of opportunities are open in the U.S., but they're not have, they don't have enough people to fill those positions. Mm. So that creates a lot of problem. A lot of startups in the U.S., you know, rocket companies and, you know, so many of those exist. There are so many open positions right now that they're unable to fill, but so many qualified international applicants, you know, that are just unable to yeah. apply to those because of those laws that have existed for decades. Mm. They might have made sense before, but they don't make sense anymore. So um, a lot of research opportunities and job opportunities, all of those, they just are not available to us, you know, mm. to people who are foreign nationals. Um, although I do live and work in the U.S. right now, it's just, you know like limited still yeah um so what we're trying to do at deep space initiative is address that address yeah. this inaccessibility so we do that through like with by addressing it from three different angles so we provide research opportunities in different topics so we have astronaut health and performance so physiology like all of this side on the yeah. on the what happens to the human body in space and how to how to how to mitigate those effects mm. and then space architecture which could be interesting to you because you're an architect <laughs> um, so basically building space stations um, building habitats on the moon and mars like how to protect them how to how to you know use psychologies on the psychology side because also you're going to be in, in an isolated and confined environment mm. so that's kind of has a huge weight on of and course. toll on your psychology too and then space transportation systems. So more on the propulsion side, the materials, the, 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 all of the like mechanical aerospace side. Hmm. So we work on these three topics. Um, so we have research opportunities available for everyone around the world. Last year, we provided opportunities to 28 people. Now we have 85 researchers wow. from all over the world. That's amazing. Um, and then we have an education department. And yeah. for that one, we have three different 
three different programs let's say we have podcasts um, courses webinars so just to make the the education side also accessible and available for people because it's really difficult like if you in Egypt want to work want to learn about space architecture it's really hard to find no idea where to go it's really hard to find right it's just and if even if you do find courses online that might be so just unaffordable yes and for me especially like I think education is so important that it should be accessible to everyone and it shouldn't be just given to just the lucky few who are fortunate to have had you know to have to have resources um so I think it should be regardless of your resources regardless of your nationality you should be able to have the same opportunity and the same quality of education you should be able to make this choice yes and not be put at a disadvantage just because of where you're born just because of where your passport says you're of your fun yeah so we do that too Mm. and then um the legal side too which Mm. is a journey Uh, and uh, that's why i don't need to get into that yeah (laughs) thank you (laughs) that's been uh, quite a it's been an interesting journey and this semester i've been focusing on space law with my phd just to kind of be informed myself and have the experience myself to be able to because we have a lot of space lawyers in the company but um i feel like i need to have like to be informed myself and to really understand the laws to have an input because there are so many things in those laws that so many people don't understand mm. you know even people who hire people in the US and because the consequences are so huge mm. if you make a mistake and you know with ITAR yeah. the, the mistake is huge like if you you know give authorization to a person who's not allowed to have authorization for this piece of information the consequences consequences are extreme yeah. so people want to be safe so they add layers upon layers upon layers of you know unnecessary restriction and that's mm-hmm. what's happening in the US so what if we are to educate a little bit more about those laws to mm-hmm. make them more understood i think that's a good first step to really be able to address those yes. right so we just need to understand the basis of those laws yeah. understand what they mean so why these things belong here why these things belong here and then if can we do something about it you know should we do something about it so it's really just about educating for now we're not a lobbying entity so mm. we don't we don't lobby um we just educate perfect <laughs> can you tell us more about the overview effect Yes, of course. It's one of my favorite things to talk about, actually. Um, so Space for Humanity, the nonprofit company, sent me to space to experience this overview effect. So this change in perspective that happens to your brain um, when you see Earth from space. And then you have to bring that back to Earth. So I have to sign a commitment to show impact mm. a year after I come back from space. So the overview effect is something that I've been reading about and really I've heard so many astronauts talk about it throughout the years, but it's never really, it's never really the same when it happens to you. I yeah. don't know. Like it's really for me. I read that a lot of astronauts said that um, that they didn't see the lines on the map. So all of the the thing, you know, the discriminations that happened because of the nationalities that kind of changed for them. Yeah. And also seeing the thin blue line and really understanding how fragile our Earth is, you develop this new sense of responsibility towards it. So you see a lot of you see a lot of astronauts come back from space and really become activists in sustainability and really trying to solve problems on Earth. And for me, when I went to space and when I came back, my overview effect felt very, very different. I felt more I felt a new sense of connection with the universe that I I didn't really expect to have, um, because 
when you launch into space, you realize how close it is. It's really not separate from Earth. We really tend, we try, we kind of develop this new understanding that Earth is just a part of space, hmm. you know, and there's no actual separation between the two. And it's just one part of another. And it just makes sense. Like, we're always on Earth trying to understand different things. We're trying to, to, to develop it. We're trying to really solve problems on Earth. But then we always talk about space, especially in our side of the world, in Egypt, in the Arab world. We're talking about it as if it's an extra thing. Yeah, like, we don't need foreign. to. Exactly. Yeah. Like, it's not a priority. We shouldn't really be talking about that. Let's solve problems on Earth. Yeah. But actually, when we're solving for space, we are solving for Earth. Yeah. And we they're not separate things. Like, this is, we are made of stardust. You know, like that's a like one of my favorite quotes, um, and it's really it's it's really true. And once you go there, at least for me, the when I was in space, I think it's really gonna sound very weird and very kind of you know contradictory to what it should. But I felt for the first time like I was at home. You know, mm -hmm. I felt this new connection with the universe that I didn't expect to have. Mm -hmm. So. When I came back, it's really something that breaks your understanding mm. and then you have to piece it back together. You know, it's really, everything clicks in a different way. Yeah. Like I used to maybe like, for the two weeks after I came back, everything was so weird. It's so, so weird. And, you know, I was speaking to other astronauts during those two weeks also, but it's because they understood, they went through the same thing. Yeah. And they also said that you're going to feel weird for some time. So yeah, it's okay. Normal. You're fine. Yeah. <laughs> no, it's normal that you're feeling weird. Yeah. So that really, you know, it was really something that I didn't expect. Mm. And it was a lot more powerful than I thought it would. And completely shifted a lot of things for me. You know, and it shifted also this the scale of everything. You know, when we're sitting in this room, like everything around us is in, on Earth, you yeah. know. And that's what we're used to. That's what we've, we haven't been, you know, we don't know anything else. Yeah. But then when you leave it and you see it from the outside as like it's small, it's really not that big. Yeah. And the universe is the universe is just humongous. So it's really you develop this new it's a different scale. Yeah. You know, and everything seems much smaller. Infinite mm -hmm. scale. Mm -hmm. And you, the, the impact that you can have is much bigger. And you tend to take, at least for me, I, the, the, like I was wondering even after I come back, like, the fear you know i used to be like scared of different things but now i think i'm a lot less scared of things yeah. and i'm much more you know like i think i've developed a much stronger responsibility towards earth and towards like everyone you know i feel like it's it's an obligation for me to to use this experience to really make something of it and you know and to really also communicate the importance of us being like exploring space and exploring our universe and really trying to find answers because for me that's how it started you know i got involved in the space field because i was asking a lot of questions i really was wondering why why we weren't able to answer these questions what is why aren't we able to solve all of the missing pieces of you know the physics basically yeah. so for me it started from astrophysics and i really wanted to understand them like and i saw that we we're not able to prove so many of the theories that we have and like i kind of tried to like think and really to re-look at the root of the cause so mm. what is stopping us from being able to understand that and then i realized for us to be able to understand those and to really solve those mysteries we need to be bo both going back in time and into the future and the way to do that is really travel farther in space into space so that's why I kind of like realized that okay so the space field is actually 
so much more impactful than we think it is. It, imp it, it involves the entirety of humanity. Yeah. And if we're able to answer these questions, we're going to be able to help Earth a lot more than we're able to help it now. So that's why I dedicated myself to that. And I've been training for some years now, and I you know, did the analog mission, which is simulating missions on Earth. Um, so basically um, simulating a mission to the to moon or Mars on Earth. And that's how I became the first Egyptian female to do uh, such a uh, simulation. That was before my going to space. So that's kind of the difference between analog astronaut and astronaut. Okay. And, um, and yeah, and I've dedicated my life to doing that. And I think... Um, I think it's just really important to, 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 for people in Egypt to have space, be part of the conversation, and for us to, to not find it so weird, you know? Yes. Right now, it's still very weird. It's yeah. still very... Uh, Feels not out of reach mm. a little bit. Yeah. That's such an amazing, inspirational story, honestly. Thank you. So, uh, I'm going to ask you one last question. Can you tell us about your goals moving forward? Yes. So since my coming back from space, I've been working on several projects mm -hmm. to really try to address some of the problems that we have on Earth and mm -hmm. also others. So with DSI, we've grown so much and we're really trying to tackle some of the issues that we have and really make it so that everyone is able to work on this. So these opportunities are available for everyone. So anyone in the world can apply. So we have a short selection process, but we're trying more and more to make the those opportunities as open as we can because when we're providing these opportunities we need to be able to like provide the resources for them yeah. so both by like with people supervising them and also you know financial resources mm -hmm. so with time that goes you know we're, as we grow we want to be able to provide it to as many as we can um, so that's kind of continuing and it's really growing and I'm very grateful to the team the team is everything for us um, it's just I have just very very lucky to have such a strong and committed and motivated team they're just incredible and as for my personal goals other than the projects that i'm working on that i have yet to announce that i cannot announce yet okay um but it's <laughs> now i'm it's, curious <laughs> tell me about that yes um <laughs> so i have like several projects that i'm working on that could help egypt so that's mm -hmm. kind of something that i'm really really focused on since coming back from space and then another one that i'm gonna announce and i think three months okay so that one um, I'm hoping to be able to speak about maybe like I'll tell you about it then yes and I'll be then, on the lookout <laughs> <laughs> and then um, my personal goals of course of course I want to continue my astronaut training so I want to be prepared uh, to go to the moon and Mars so that's kind of my goal is to really live and work on Mars um, and for it to be a normal thing for us to have a lot more opportunity for us to have at, at least a few hundred people from Egypt you know on the moon and Mars That'd for us amazing. you know to have representation there yes. for like, we can't I can't like I would hate to see the entire world on the moon and Mars and Egypt to be left behind yeah. or the whole African continent to be left behind so my goal is to have is to really push for representation there and to have the demographic of earth of space look like the demographic of earth that's amazing thank you I can't imagine someone better fit for this representation honestly thank, thank you, you so much for coming on the podcast it was a pleasure to have you thank you do so you much. have anything else you'd like to share with the audience thank you i really appreciate being here and i think it's just an incredible initiative that you guys are doing you're providing opportunities and really awareness about the importance of stem in egypt and i think that's something that is so important and we really need to have that and 
for me, you know, especially as women in Egypt, and I think now we're in Women's Month, and like it's so important to see representation. I never saw representation when I was growing up. I never saw that anyone like that that looked like me, you know. So it was really something that um, I did it anyway, regardless of what I was told told or the lack of support I received from people around me. But it was still important for the next generation to see that it's possible. Like, I wish I had that. And I think, you know, we can also use the difficulty to our advantage. Like, for me, whenever I was told not to study mechanical engineering, not yeah. to study mechatronics because it would be too hard. For a woman. Yeah. Yes, for someone like me. Or that pursuing biomedical engineering, mm. I would have no opportunities. And I hear a lot of students that come up to me and send me messages and ask, I want to do this, but mm. I don't. I'm afraid that I'm never going to find opportunities. And that's what they're told. True. People are telling them exactly the same thing that I was told as well. Um, so I think it's just about not being scared of not finding opportunities because we are living in a world where the, the idea of working nine to five is not the yeah. normal. Like, it doesn't have to be People just a concept. People are making their own opportunities as well. Exactly. And I think that came from an age where we had, you know, like... It's, industrialization it's, exactly yeah. and why is it still there you yeah. know it doesn't make it doesn't make that much sense but i see a lot of countries in europe and stuff that are really changing this and i think we need to have an open mind whenever yes. we're starting a career path if it's math math if it's math that you want to pursue because you're so passionate about it and if you think you're never going to find opportunities think again you know yeah. just do it if you want to do it don't do something just because of the opportunities you're going to find because at the end of the day, you're going to be spending most of your time doing this. Yes, true. So your career is part of you. You know, a lot of people ask me also, like, how do you, what do you do for fun? But, but like, this is, this is my life. My job is fun. Like, it's yeah. my life. Exactly. Yeah. I don't separate between the two. Like, this is something that I, I enjoy doing. Yeah. Like, I spend all of my days, all and of that's everything. that's how opportunities find you. Exactly. Exactly. Yeah. And even if you don't find opportunities, you can create them. Yes. You know, you can, al- you can always have control. And by the time you graduate from now, if you start, you know, your, your, your career, if your education right now, and then five years from now, four years from now, you have no idea what it's going to look like. So I think really following your passion, if that's what you want to do, not listening that, not listening to others that tell you, oh, no, you're never going to find opportunities or being interested in space is a waste of time. Like I was told, you know, people would, t- would tell me that it was just a waste of time um, or that you're a woman. You're never going to be able to do that. And I think as women as well, it's kind of increases the difficulty, especially in yes. entrepreneurship. Because um, that's a whole other story that we can yeah. get into another time. <laughs> um, but not to listen to those to listen to yourself to listen to your own voice and to always 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 understand that you have a choice you have the choice in everything that you do you can gain control and the tool that gives you this control is education so that's lovely to hear it (laughs) thank Thank you you so much for being on the podcast thank you so much for having me i really appreciate it thank you thank you so much for tuning in Uh, For more information on the STEM Center and Amadeist Egypt, visit the links down below. Thank you. This podcast is sponsored by Boeing. لو عايز تعرف أكتر عن البرامج والمنح والامتحانات اللي بتقدمها Amadeist ما تنساش تعمل لايك وشير وسبسكرايب.